Day 32 of Heart Dive 365. I'm your Bible study friend, Kanoi. Welcome to the Heart Dive Podcast. Guess what? It's Holly's birthday. If you guys want to give Holly some birthday love, do so in the comments below. Uh, we do know that some of you all have gone in, thank you so much, and purchased the February bundle for the heart checks for just $21. As you know that we have discounted the price for those of you who say, I want them all month long and I'm going to commit to it. But you're saying, there's nothing in the February folder. Well, that is because it is a living document, meaning every single day when I finish posting, when I finish sending Holly the heart checks, that is when she will add it to the folder. So because today's February 1st, today will be the first day that is added to that folder. So you will continue to get those on a daily basis. Now, I also know that there are some people who have purchased internationally and you're facing some shipping issues. So we're trying to figure that out. So just bear with us. Give us a little bit of patience and some time to be able to figure that out. Holly's going to work on it later today, even though I told her to throw her phone in the trash for the day and just get some rest and have a blessed birthday. But she is the way she is and she's going to continue to work on it. It. So hang tight, we will get that fixed. And otherwise, if you could please help us out by hitting that like button if this is part of your life, if you're part of the Heart Dive family, and making sure you're subscribed to the channel, you got that notification bell hit so that you know when the videos come out. You can always check our website, heartdive.org, if you miss any emails or anything like that, because everything is there. And of course, everything's always here on YouTube as well. And if you're new here, we welcome you. Let us know where you are in the world, where you are watching from, and make sure to check our description box or the show notes for any questions that you might have. Today, we are in Exodus chapters 7 through nine, where we are encountering what is, in my opinion, one of the more frustrating reads as God declares his judgment upon Egypt with the first seven out of the 10 plagues. And we end up on this merry-go-round of Pharaoh's fickle and stubborn heart. But hang in there, we're going to get through it together. But before we do that, let's go ahead and pray. And we are doing so in the ESV by Crossway translation, if anybody had any questions about that. Otherwise, let's go ahead and pray and prepare our hearts. Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come and your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Some of us may be facing things today that feel like we don't understand how this could possibly be your will, Lord, but because we are seeking you, because we are drawing near to you, we are going to fully trust that you are in control, that you are indeed sovereign, and that you are going to handle it the way that you desire to. So help us to remain faithful in that, Lord, and just, just keep pressing in to stay rooted in your word and rooted in the truth so that when the enemy comes and tries to whisper lies or to destroy us, we will be able to resist him. Forgive us of our sins, Lord, anything that we've done that has grieved your heart, where we have hardened our own hearts, Lord, I pray that you will soften them now. We give you full permission, God, as we humble ourselves before you and say, we want you to change us where we need to be changed. We want to be transformed from glory glory to glory. We don't want to go back to the old ways. We don't want to go back to the old life. We don't want to feel the way we used to feel. We want to walk in that freedom and joy that we know is abundantly available to us today. Help us to also forgive those, Lord, who have hurt us, who we feel that have come against us in the past. God, I pray that we will offer that full forgiveness the way that you do and that grace and mercy the way that you pour it out into our lives. And please don't lead us into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For yours is the kingdom and power and glory forever. We love you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. So starting off here in chapter seven, and the Lord said to Moses, see, I've made you like God to Pharaoh and your brother Aaron shall be your prophet. You shall speak all that I command to you and your brother Aaron shall tell Pharaoh to let the people of Israel go out of his land. And remember that anytime God repeats himself in a text, it is for emphasis. He's like, 
Remember, don't forget, hashtag, note, asterisk, whatever it is, whatever it takes to get you to get this through your thick skull. But I will harden Pharaoh's heart, and though I multiply my signs and wonders in the land of Egypt, Pharaoh will not listen to you. So as we take a look here at signs and wonders, signs and wonders are both the irrefutable works of God, but signs in the Bible are typically reminders, they serve as memorials or symbols for certain things or certain places. But here, it is going to act as a pledge or an attestation of God's presence. And then his wonders are the special displays of God's power. Then I will lay my hand on Egypt and bring my hosts, my people, the children of Israel out of the land of Egypt by great acts of judgment. The Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I stretch out my hand against Egypt and bring out the people of Israel from among them. So all of this that he is doing is for his purpose. Moses and Aaron did so. They did just as the Lord commanded them. Now Moses was 80 years old and Aaron 83 years old when they spoke to Pharaoh. Now they're supposed to be retired. I mean, they're supposed to be living in the retirement community, eating at the good buffets, playing bunco, but yet they are only starting the work that God has for them. Then the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, when Pharaoh says to you, prove yourselves by working a miracle, then you shall say to Aaron, take your staff and cast it down before Pharaoh that it may become a serpent. Now this word serpent is the Hebrew word tannin. And as many of us think of a serpent as snakes, remember back in Genesis when we talked about the fact that it may not have actually been a snake. So this word tannin actually means a great serpent, or it could refer to a crocodile or a dragon of sorts. So Moses and Aaron went to Pharaoh and did just as the Lord commanded. Aaron cast down his staff before Pharaoh and his servants, and it became a serpent. Then Pharaoh summoned the wise men and the sorcerers. So the wise men would have been people like counselors or or men of insight, those who do philosophy, they're those who are, are studying all different subjects. The sorcerers would have been people who tapped into the occult. They practiced divination. Same thing with the magicians. And they, the magicians of Egypt, also did the same by their secret arts. So the secret arts would have been the mysteries or their bag of tricks. For each man cast down his staff and they became serpents. But Aaron's staff swallowed up their staff. So that just goes to show that God is great greater than all. Still, Pharaoh's heart was hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord said. Then the Lord said to Moses, Pharaoh's heart is hardened. He refuses to let the people go. And anytime we talk about this hardened heart, we're speaking about a heart that is dull or insensitive to the power of God. And ultimately, when you harden your heart toward God, that is going to lead only to hell because you are saying, nope, I don't want you. And I'm going to go down the road that is completely opposite, which what is the opposite of God's road to heaven, the road to hell? Go to Pharaoh in the morning as he is going out out to the water, stand on the bank of the Nile to meet him, and take in your hand the staff that turned into a serpent. So the reason why the Egyptians would go down to the Nile, because remember, this is their life source. Of course, Pharaoh had his own bath in his kingdom, I'm sure, but they believe that the Nile held some sort of power. And so that's why they would go down there to bathe. And you shall say to him, the Lord, the God of Hebrews sent me to you saying, let my people go that they may serve me in the wilderness. But so far you have not obeyed. Thus says the Lord, by this you shall know that I am the Lord. Behold, with the staff that is in my hand, I will strike the water that is in the Nile and it shall turn into blood. 
The fish in the Nile shall die, and the Nile will stink, and the Egyptians will grow weary of drinking water from the Nile. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Take your staff and stretch out your hand over the waters of Egypt, over the rivers, their canals, and their ponds, and all their pools of water, so that they may become blood. And there shall be blood throughout all the land of Egypt, even in the vessels of wood and the vessels of stone, which those vessels would have been barrels that would hold their drinking water. So even that is going to turn to blood. Now, the question remains, is this actually turning to blood? Well, if we have the knowledge about how these plagues played out, let's take a look at that to give us some context here. There was always a pattern between these plagues where God would send two warnings. So, for example, the first two plagues, they would have been warned about, and this would have been an opportunity for them to repent, say, no, we don't want the plague. But if they didn't repent, which we know they don't, God sends the plague. But then the third plague, and this will happen three different times is unannounced, and it is worse than the first two before it. And so, each of the plagues grow in severity. Now, the first nine plagues are all, quote, natural events. So, they are things that would have happened in the natural realm. So, when we look at this blood, is this actually blood? Well, that would have been out of step with the natural order of things. So, one way that scholars look at this is that torrential rains may have brought the red soil and algae that would have polluted the Nile and polluted all of the water sources, and that would have given it the red color, as well as the algae choking out all of the oxygen and making it unfit for all of the animals and wildlife to live in there. And so, that is why they would have ended up dying. Verse 20, Moses and Aaron did as the Lord commanded. In the sight of Pharaoh and in the sight of his servants, he lifted up the staff and struck the water in the Nile, and all the water in the Nile turned into blood. And the fish in the Nile died, and the Nile stank, so that the Egyptians could not drink water from the Nile. There was blood throughout all the land of Egypt. And I don't know if you've ever dealt in an area of a flood and the aftermath of it, but it is stank, just like it says here. But the magicians of Egypt did the same by their secret arts. So Pharaoh's heart remained hardened, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So, these Egyptians are recreating it. And the question, of course, is, well, how did they recreate it? Well, what they may have done, because we will see here that the only way for them to seek water to be able to find that water to drink, they would have to dig up in the wells to get that good drinking water, that pure water. So, what they may have done is they may have actually dug into the wells, gotten up the water, and then turned it red somehow, whether it be by a dye or something else. So, they were able to kind of re create what God had done naturally. However, Satan will always do that. He will try to replicate what God does, yet it never makes anything better. Sin will always make things worse. And that's exactly what's going to happen here. Because if they actually wanted to refute God's power, you'd think they would actually turn the Nile back to regular water, right? If they actually had the capacity to do good, why wouldn't you do good? Verse 23, so Pharaoh turned and went into his house and he did not take even this to his heart. And all the Egyptians dug along the Nile for water to drink, for they could not drink the water of the Nile. So there it is. Seven full days passed after the Lord had struck the Nile. So in the end, God told Moses and Aaron from the beginning that this was going to happen. I mean, he said that he was going to show his power and Pharaoh simply was not going to listen. His heart would be hardened. And I don't know if you've ever dealt with a hardened heart 
but it is so heartbreaking. It is so defeating. Yet here we see Moses and Aaron continuing to do everything that God told them to do anyway, despite knowing that in the short term, Pharaoh would be completely indifferent. And as easy as it is to read this in disbelief, like, oh my gosh, here we go again. I mean, we too can sometimes be insensitive to what God is trying to show us. We don't have to be angry to have a hardened heart. It shows itself in our attitude. So whenever we say things like, I'm going to do what makes me happy, or I don't care what anyone else thinks, that's when we are right where the devil wants us, because he knows that he can get us isolated away from what God wants by increasing our desire for what we want, and therefore we're ripe for attack. You see, a hardened heart will lead straight to hell. When we shake our fist at God and say, I don't care what you think, God, that's grieving the Holy Spirit. And that is the one unforgivable sin. So heart check, how soft is your heart? Are you leaning into what God truly wants or are you only seeking your own desires? So now we head into the second plague of frogs in chapter eight. Oh, this one makes me shudder. Frogs, by the way, would have been a sacred sign of life to the Egyptians. It symbolized renewal, happiness for Egypt, and also productivity. In fact, they had a fertility goddess named Hecht, I believe, and they would never kill frogs because of this fertility goddess. And it was because of the fact that frogs do reproduce so quickly and easily. So that is why it symbolized that production or that fertility. And I remember my daddy always telling me when I was little, frogs are good. They eat the pests that eat the crops. So we need frogs. And I'm like, we don't need frogs, but I guess we need frogs. But the interesting thing is, is that what once ate the pests is now going to become the pest. Verse one, then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh. So here we see him warning him on the second plague and say to him, Thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me. But if you refuse to let them go, behold, I will plague all your country with frogs. The Nile shall swarm with frogs that shall come up into your house and into your bedroom. Ah, which means they're getting all the way up to the second floor. Because if you think about Pharaoh's house, it ain't just this one little one story shack. And on your bed and into the houses of your servants and your people and into your ovens. Oh gosh, and your kneading bowls. Anybody else shivering over here? The frogs shall come up on you and your people, and on all your servants. And the Lord said to Moses, Say to Aaron, Stretch out your hand with your staff over the rivers, over the canals, and over the pools, and make frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So Aaron stretched out his hand over the waters of Egypt, and the frogs came up and covered the land of Egypt. But the magicians did the same by their secret arts and made frogs come up on the land of Egypt. So how did they do this? probably consulting the occult. It was probably some sort of demonic power. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, plead with the Lord to take away the frogs from me and from my people, and I will let the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. Now, you would think that he would actually call upon his magicians if he had so much faith in them to make the frogs go away, but okay. So Moses said to Pharaoh, be pleased to command me when I am to plead for you and for your servants and for your people that the frogs be cut off from you and your houses and be left only in the night. So in other words, he's saying, when do you want this to happen? And look at what he says, verse 10. He said, tomorrow. Pharaoh is pleading for the frogs to be taken away. Yet when Moses asks him when, he says tomorrow. I mean, why not now? Well, if we liken the plagues to sin or selfish desires, it's the same way with us. Perhaps Pharaoh was giving the magicians one more day to prove God weak or the same way that I say, I'm going to start my diet tomorrow. 
every single day because I want one more day to be able to go to Crumble Cookie and get the limited edition cookie of the month. Have you guys seen that, by the way? My friend Erica just sent me a picture last night. She's like, girl, we need these <laughs> or else I will fold my laundry tomorrow only for it to pile up into an even bigger heap. Or some people are saying, I'll stop drinking tomorrow or I'll stop texting him tomorrow. You see, sin is deceptive. We think we can handle it, yet we're unable to turn away now because it is handling us. You see, sin is pleasurable for a season, but it always leads to destruction. So heart check. Is there something that you're putting off until tomorrow that God is pleading with you to deal with now? And the thing we need to remember is sin isn't bad because God said it is. I mean, God declares it wrong and tells us to flee because of the fact that it's bad. He wants what's best for us and he knows where every path leads. And the path of sin will only lead to death. Now, Moses said, be it as you say, so that you may know that there is no one like the Lord, our God. So he is comparing him, of course, to Egypt's many gods. And he's like, our God is the best. The frogs shall go away from you in your houses and your servants and your people. They shall be left only in the Nile. So Moses and Aaron went out from Pharaoh and Moses cried to the Lord about the frogs as he had agreed with Pharaoh. And the Lord did according to the word of Moses. And I thought this was interesting because I thought to myself, now, does Moses actually believe Pharaoh and that he's actually going to soften his heart and do what he says? Or is he just doing this because he's being faithful to God? Now the frogs died out in the houses, the courtyards and the fields, and they gathered them together in heaps and the land stank. And I don't know if you've ever smelled a dead animal, but to have heaps of them lying around would have been nauseating. I mean, this is a smell that you will never forget if you smell what death smells like. And it's just the same way that sin stinks. It's going to leave a stench in your life. But when Pharaoh saw that there was respite, he hardened his heart and would not listen to them as the Lord had said. So here we see once again that he's just being stubborn. And whenever he suffered, of course, his heart softened. But whenever he received that respite, his heart would harden once again. And this is the pattern that we will continue to see. Now, stubbornness is always birthed out of selfishness. And we've got to remember that when we are stubborn, it will affect others. It will ultimately lead to rebellion and it will blind us to the truth. So when we are being stubborn, we don't even have the capacity or the ability to see truth for what it is. Verse 16, then the Lord said to Moses, say to Aaron, stretch out your staff and strike the dust of the earth so that it may become gnats in all the land of Egypt. So notice that this is a third plague that is coming unannounced. So this third plague being one of gnats or even lice is what some scholars believe it is. And they did so. Aaron stretched out his hand with his staff and struck the dust of the earth. And there were gnats on both man and beast. And so this would have been the most ultimate despicable act by God, because no Egyptian is going to accept a sacrifice of an animal full of lice. And remember, these are guys who shaved their entire bodies. I mean, probably one of the reasons is to make sure that they don't have any sort of gnats or lice on their bodies. And all the dust of the earth became gnats in all the land of Egypt. And the magicians tried by their secret arts to produce gnats, but they could not. So there were gnats on both man and beast. Then the magician said to Pharaoh, this is the finger of God. So they are giving credit now to God because obviously they cannot reproduce what God is doing. But Pharaoh's heart was hardened anyway, and he would not listen to them as the Lord had said. This is the 
worst place that we can be is ignoring the things that God is doing right in front of us. Now, we will see the finger of God in other places in the Bible. In Exodus 3, we will see that by the finger of God will be how the commandments are written. We will see the finger of God writing on Belshazzar's wall in Daniel 5. And then in John 8, Jesus, of course, writing in the dust with his finger. And what will happen whenever the finger of God writes, it is pointing out some sort of wrongdoing. And it's going to do one of two things for you. It's either going to lead you to repentance the same way that the men who were accusing the woman of adultery walked away, or it is going to lead to your judgment because you are unwilling to listen the way that Pharaoh was. Verse 20, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself to Pharaoh as he goes out to the water and say to him. So here, the fourth plague, he is warning him once again, thus says the Lord, let my people go that they may serve me or else if you will not let my people go, behold, I will send swarms of flies on you and your servants and your people and into your houses. Now, some people say that these swarms could have actually been mosquitoes or fleas but we're just going to go with flies because that's what this translation says. And the houses of the Egyptians shall be filled with swarms of flies and also on the ground on which they stand. And again, I am shivering because next to reptiles and amphibians, flies are my next greatest enemy. But on that day, I will set apart the land of Goshen where my people dwell so that no swarms of flies shall be there, that you may know that I am the Lord in the midst of the earth. So in a sense, Goshen, where the Israelites are living, is going to be a no-fly zone. But um, Okay. Thus, I will put a division between my people and your people. And so this shows that God does indeed set us apart. He desires for there to be a boundary between us and the world. He'll protect us. Tomorrow, this sign shall happen. And the Lord did so. There came swarms of flies into the house of Pharaoh and into his servants' houses. Throughout all the land of Egypt, the land was ruined by the swarms of flies. Then Pharaoh called Moses and Aaron and said, go sacrifice to your God within the land. So we almost had some hope there when he's like, go sacrifice to your God, but then said, in this land. You see, Pharaoh is trying to get Moses to compromise here by saying, fine, you know what? You can worship, but you've got to stay here. In other words, he's like, keep one foot in the world and one foot in worship. And that's what the enemy will do. He knows that if he can keep one foot on his territory, then he actually has a foothold. And if he has that, it's one step closer to completely destroying you. Because remember, sin doesn't just suddenly happen. It always starts with compromise, a little here, a little there, until you are completely out of control. So heart check, is there anything in your life where you are compromising? Or can you say with full confidence that both feet are on holy ground. Verse 28, but Moses said, it would not be right to do so for the offerings we shall sacrifice to the Lord our God are an abomination to the Egyptians. So sheep actually were detestable to the Egyptians and that would have been among the animals that they probably would have sacrificed. If we sacrifice offerings abominable to the Egyptians before their eyes, will they not stone us? So they are trying to appeal to the ethnic and cultural sensibilities here. Verse 27, we must go three days journey into the wilderness and sacrifice to the Lord our God as he tells us. So Pharaoh said, I will let you go to sacrifice to the Lord your God in the wilderness, only you must not go very far away. Plead for me. Then Moses said, Behold, I am going out from you, and I will plead with the Lord that the swarms of flies may depart from Pharaoh, from his servants, and from his people tomorrow. Only let not Pharaoh cheat again. 
by not letting the people go to sacrifice to the Lord. So he's given him a little bit of grace here. He's saying, okay, we'll do this for you, but you got to promise that you're not going to cheat us again. So Moses went out from Pharaoh and prayed to the Lord. And the Lord did as Moses asked and removed the swarms of flies from Pharaoh, from his servants and from his people, and not one remained. But Pharaoh hardened his heart this time also and did not let the people go. So fourth verse, same as the first, and it's going to continue here in chapter nine. Then the Lord said to Moses, go into Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For if you refuse to let them go and still hold them, behold, the hand of the Lord will fall with very severe plague upon your livestock that are in the field, the horses, the donkeys, the camels, the herds, and the flocks. But the Lord will make a distinction between the livestock of Israel and the livestock of Egypt, so that nothing of all that belongs to the people of Israel shall die. And what we've got to understand is that when God destroys the livestock of the Egyptians, this is not only going to destroy their economy, but it's also going to destroy their military, because you see here that they're taking the horses out as well. And once again, God's saying, I'll protect my people though. And the Lord set a time. So here we see His divine timing is always perfect purposely set, saying, tomorrow the Lord will do this thing in the land. And the next day the Lord did this thing. All the livestock of the Egyptians died, but not one of the livestock of the people of Israel died. And Pharaoh sent, and behold, not one of the livestock of Israel was dead. But the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people go. You wouldn't say. Verse 8, And the Lord said to Moses and Aaron, Take handfuls of soot from the kiln, and let Moses throw them in the air in the sight of Pharaoh. It shall become fine dust, over all the land of Egypt and become boils, oh, breaking out in sores on man and beast throughout all the land of Egypt. So they took soot from the kiln and stood before Pharaoh and Moses threw it in the air and it became boils, breaking out in sores on man and beast. And the magicians could not stand before Moses because of the boils, for the boils came upon the magicians as well and upon all the Egyptians. But the Lord hardened the heart of Pharaoh and he did not listen to them as the Lord had spoken to Moses. And so he here we see God actually declaring that he is now hardening Pharaoh's heart. But this is actually confirming Pharaoh's choice of resistance thus far, God knowing that he's going to continue to resist anyway. So he's not overruling free will here. He simply knows that Pharaoh is going to harden his heart. And so he's like, you know what? Let's go. And he continues to bring plague after plague, meaning an offering for mercy, an offering for repentance. Verse 13, then the Lord said to Moses, rise up early in the morning and present yourself before Pharaoh and say to him, thus says the Lord, the God of the Hebrews, let my people go that they may serve me. For this time, I will send all my plagues on you yourself. So this is God saying, listen, buddy, I'm in control, not you. And on your servants and your people, so that you may know that there is none like me in all the earth. So here we see that the plagues are indeed growing in intensity. For by now I could have have put out my hand and struck you and your people with pestilence, and you would have been cut off from the earth. But for this purpose, I have raised you up to show you my power so that my name may be proclaimed in all the earth. So God always has a purpose for everything that he does, and it is going to be 
for his glory. He will turn it around. You are still exalting yourself against my people and won't let them go. Behold, about this time tomorrow, I will cause very heavy hail to fall, such as never has been in Egypt from the day it was founded until now. So this will be unprecedented hailstorms. Now, therefore, send, get your livestock and all that you have in the field into safe shelter for every man and beast that is in the field and is not brought home will die when the hail falls on them. Well, isn't this merciful of God to warn them to actually go get their livestock and get them to safety? Then whoever feared the word of the Lord among the servants of Pharaoh hurried his slaves and his livestock into the houses. But whoever did not pay attention to the word of the Lord left his slaves and his livestock in the field. Then the Lord said to Moses, stretch out your hand toward heaven so that there may be hail in all the land of Egypt on man and beast and every plant of the field in the land of Egypt. Then Moses stretched out his staff toward heaven and the Lord sent thunder and hail and fire ran down on the earth. This word fire could have been lightning and the Lord rained hail upon the land of Egypt. There was hail and fire flashing continually in the midst of the hail, very heavy hail, such as had never been in all the land of Egypt since it became a nation. So unprecedented hailstorm. The hail struck down everything that was in the field in all the land of Egypt, both man and beast. And the hail struck down every plant of the field and broke every tree of the field. Only in the land of Goshen, where the people of Israel were, was there no hail. So once again, God protecting his people and all of the people, of course, who listened to him to get to safety, obviously were not affected. But basically, this hailstorm leveled this entire area. Then Pharaoh sent and called Moses and Aaron and said to them, this time I have sinned. And I was like, wow. Okay, now you're going to admit it. The Lord is in the right and I and my people are in the wrong. Plead with the Lord for there has been enough of God's thunder and hail. I mean, at least he's confessing. The fact that Pharaoh is begging, though, for Moses to intercede on his behalf, it does show a little bit of faith on his part, but he acknowledges the power of God only whenever God's against him. And then he goes to Moses as if he has this favor upon him to move God's heart. And I think we sometimes have this tendency to do this as well. Heart check. When you need prayer, do you hit your knees or do you hit up the most spiritual person you know and ask them to pray for you? Now, side note, asking for prayer is a wonderful thing to do. Don't ever stop doing that. Intercession is amazing. But the point I'm trying to make here is that we should never allow asking others for prayer to supersede our own individual prayer life. And that is what Pharaoh is doing here. So he continues, I will let you go and you shall stay no longer. And Moses said to him, as soon as I have gone out of the city, I will stretch out my hands to the Lord. The thunder will cease and there will be no more hail so that you may know that the earth is the Lord's. But as for you and your servants, I know that you do not yet fear the Lord God. So Moses is calling him out on his stuff right here. We are seeing that he is acting purely in obedience to God and not because he believes what Pharaoh is saying. The flax and the barley were struck down for the barley was in the ear and the flax was in the bud, but the wheat and the emmer were not struck down for they are late in coming up. What in the world is this little part in the parentheses doing here? Well, this is showing us, if we know anything about farming, which I don't, but thank God for scholars who do, that barley is actually harvested in the spring, wheat is harvested in the summer, so this is going to show that these plagues actually lasted at least over the course of a year. So Moses went out of the city from Pharaoh and stretched out his hands to the Lord, and the thunder and the hail ceased, and the rain no longer poured upon the earth. But when Pharaoh saw that the rain and the hail and the thunder had ceased, of course, 
Pharisee sinned yet again and hardened his heart, he and his servants. So here we have some short-lived remorse. So the heart of Pharaoh was hardened, and he did not let the people of Israel go, just as the Lord had spoken through Moses. So in the end, God has given Pharaoh seven opportunities to repent. And we see that he only says sorry whenever he's suffering under the consequences. But then he goes right back to the same old stubborn life after that, showing us that a hardened heart is actually sin. You see, nothing God says or does will ever get through to a heart made of stone. And the sorries that are spoken from that kind of heart is not true repentance because true repentance is a U-turn. It's an about face. It goes against the things that grieve the heart of God. And it is not only based on the effects that they will have on your life. True repentance is walking away from that attitude and that lifestyle and that person or that thing that contributed to this heart of stone. Whereas our hearts need to be more like wax, where they will soften whenever God brings the heat. So heart check, What material is your heart made of? When life gets hard, does your heart follow suit or do you soften under the mighty hand of God? And taking a look at some deep dive questions, how do we reconcile God hardening Pharaoh's heart with free will? How do you deal with a hardened heart or persistent disbelief? What purpose did the plague serve beside judgment? What is the difference between persistence and stubbornness? What are their effects? Do you believe Pharaoh was lying or continually changing his mind? And how do you see God's patience on display in today's society? So Heavenly Father, your power and your commitment to the freedom of your children continues to be on display to us today. We thank you, Lord, for being so merciful and giving us chance after chance to turn our hearts toward you. I know that there are people today who are at a crossroads where they want so badly to go down a road that seems way more fun or freer than the one that you have laid out before them. Oh Lord, I pray that you will soften their hearts today and strengthen their faith to know that your way is always better. Sin only brings pleasure for a moment, but it will lead to destruction, whereas obedience and faithfulness leads to an eternity of pleasure, even though it may hurt in the temporary. Help us, Lord, to see the importance of obedience to you and what you command and what consequences we may face whenever we do harden our hearts. I pray that we will always hear and heed your voice as we seek to do your will. We acknowledge, God, your might today. Forgive us where we have sought to prove you wrong or to prove that your mighty acts and your signs and your wonders no longer exist. We are not the authority to say that, whether you can and will still do these things today. So may we have an open heart so that we won't dismiss whenever you do something miraculous. I pray, Lord, that you will help us to be able to deal with people who might have hardened hearts or defiance or stubbornness. We know that we can't change them, only you can, but we can still be faithful in speaking truth and declaring warnings and loving them through it. So where the enemy will seek to divide, God, I pray that you will bring unity. But we also recognize that you will create boundaries in order to protect your people, and that still stands today. So where we need that protection from an impending storm, will you cover us in the shadow of your wings? Thank you for loving us with an unyielding and persistent love, despite our disobedience or waywardness. I pray that we won't only submit to you when the going gets tough, only to turn back to our old ways, but instead, please lead us in the way everlasting. We want to be able to truly repent. We want to turn toward you and never look back. So we do today. 
look to you, our beacon of hope in this time of uncertainty. We thank you so much, God, for your faithfulness. We love you so much. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Heaven and salvation is a divine gift that is given to us by grace. None of us deserve it. In fact, the Bible says that the wages of sin is death, and every single one of us have fallen short, and then we desperately need someone to pay that price. And Jesus did it. He didn't do it because we are righteous on our own merit. He did it because He loves us, and He wants to spend eternity with us. But it won't happen if we don't receive Him before we leave this earth as Lord and Savior. Hell is a very real thing, and there is no second chance after we take our last breath here. So I want to be able to give someone the opportunity today who is saying, I'm ready. I've never given my life to Christ. I don't know where I'm going to end up after I die. But I don't want to live another day without knowing beyond a shadow of a doubt where I am going to end up. I see now that this is real and I want to believe. So if that is you, we're going to say a prayer. And I'm going to put the words on the screen so that you can say them audibly with your mouth because the Bible says that when you believe and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he died and rose again, then you will be saved. So we're going to say this prayer together. Believe it in your heart, speak it with your mouth, and know that this is indeed the day of your salvation. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for Jesus. Jesus, thank you for dying for me. I believe that you came, you died, and you rose again. I confess my sins to you today, and I turn from them, and I now live my life for you. I know that I am forgiven of all my sins, so I receive you now as Lord and Savior, and I belong to you, Jesus. I pray these things in Jesus' name, amen.